Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of The 4-Hour Chef by Tim Ferriss, the simple path to cooking like a pro, learning anything, and living the good life. Tim Ferriss. This must be our third Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss probably earns the, the jugger, uh, probably thanks to two of his books. Yeah. The most, most recent two we weren't that big of a fan of, but uh, I really like this one. Yeah, yeah no, really like it's really one. good. It's definitely the, the most effort he's put into any of his mm. books, right? Like the amount, of, oh, it's unbelievable what he put mm. into writing this one. Absolutely. So the the Tim Ferriss story, he was saying that before he was kind of allergic to cooking. He was intimidated by it. He was kind of scared of it. Um, and he found whatever ways he could not to do it. The extent of Tim Ferriss' cooking, uh, much the same as yours, mate, it was yeah. like a, a, a the pre-bought, chuck in the microwave for a minute or 90 seconds and uh, and ready to eat. Yeah, it's one of those funny gags. Anyone asks me, well, do you cook? And then I'll just like, oh, now was... I'm there. yeah, I cook. I did it the other week, didn't I? And it, it got a few laughs. It was a great gag. Yeah, yeah I cook, yeah. You so know, you just chuck it in the microwave yeah. for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was, so he does F all, but then one day, a bit like um, you know myself at your house maybe, but uh, for Tim, one day an old friend, Jesse, wanted to catch up and, you know, we'll chat about what they've been up to and he insisted that he cook at Tim's place. And when they got there, Tim said, hey, mate, I'll handle the food portion, Tim. You can handle the wine portion of the meal. <laughs> like the old, uh, just go to the bottle. Oh, That's right. <laughs> Handling the drink side of the meal is, yeah, very easy. Just grab a bottle or two of red. Um, and then so Tim kind of walked in. He's like, oh, my goodness, there's this big-ass pot. There's this whole chicken here. There's all these veggies. Tim was like starting to stress out. But Jesse was like, no, it's pretty easy. Here we go. Jesse just chopped the chicken up into eight bits, chucked them all in the pot. He was like, yeah, don't even chop, don't wash these, don't chop them, just break them in half and chuck them in the pot. And whatever he did, just poured a bunch of oil, a bit of salt and pepper, a bit of garlic, just mixed it all around. And then he's like, cool, chuck it in the oven. Two hours later, let's let's go drink mm. and then we'll eat. And it was a piece of piss really. So Tim was blown away because it was one of the most delicious meals that he's ever had. And he couldn't believe how simple cooking was. So mm. He was probably making a bit of, uh, what is it, a, a mount hill out of a molehill. <laughs> what is it? A molehill out of a mountain. No, no. You had a yeah, first time? Yeah. <laughs> That's what Tim was doing. So he thought, okay, it's actually a bit easier than he thought um, watching this uh, this weapon go at it. So he thought, all right, I'm going to give cooking another chance. That's right. And a couple of years later, he was living out one of his childhood fantasies. He had... Uh, uh, some family and friends over for Thanksgiving dinner, which was you know multiple meats, multiple salads, multiple side dishes. It was this big you know whole you know day long ordeal to cook for everyone, and he was able to sit back and just watch everyone enjoy his his uh, his cooking. And he felt like he graduated. He was previously a lifelong non cook, and then he felt on top of the world. That's it. So Tim, he graduated, and in this book, we're going to learn out how he did it because. Uh, Tim, he's no stranger to learning new skills. Uh, if you listened or read the 4-Hour Workweek, you'd know that he'd won a gold medal in 1999 for the Chinese uh, National Kickboxing mm. World Championship. And also, he got a Guinness World Record in tango dancing. So, some pretty wild stuff. Um, but even that, learning those things, mm. still cooking to him before at the very start, it seemed a lot more mysterious, a lot more complicated and a bit harder to master and learn. Yeah. I feel like cooking should be easier than tango and Chinese kickboxing, but obviously there's not. There's just so so much information. You don't know where to start. Uh, cookbooks are kind I'd of- i say it is much harder, but he's, <laughs> let's be real. He's trying to sell the idea of uh, his book. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> Anyway, let's uh, let's not throw water on fire. Let's keep going. <laughs> Basically, is he found that the two biggest problems uh, were failure points and then the margin of safety. So these are the, the things that he tried to solve when he was learning cooking. So the, one of the big ones is is failure points. So if you think about it, it doesn't matter so much why people pick up cookbooks. 
Um, we all have a crack at things. We have that instant, you know, instance of uh, inspiration. But what matters to Tim is why we put them down and why we actually give it up. Um, so his hypothesis in writing this book was that he could address all the tipping points that are often ignored and also increase the number of people that pick up the book and eventually become competent cooks. Yeah, he did a poll of his audience. I assume just a little Twitter poll or something, but he found that uh, all these things were failure points. Too many ingredients, which meant too much shopping, too much prep, too much wasted food, too much cleaning up, too many tools, too many pots and pans, all these expensive uh, different things that they probably didn't have, so they had to go out and buy. All these different dishes meant different cooking times, so sometimes something's burning while something's undercooked. Uh, dishes that require constant attention mean you have to sit there and give all of your focus to stir and watch and monitor. All these things were the, the failure points that he tried to eliminate in this book. Yeah, a lot of cookbooks out there and a lot of how-to or self-help books, uh, a lot of them are really for the writers and not the readers, you know, so they're they're writing the book and they've got this really complicated recipe that makes them look really smart and how mm. to do it. But then when you pick out the book and you read it and you're like, fucking hell, yeah, what, what's going on here? And then you just give up. Exactly. And then the second big thing that he tried to uh, work in here was the margin of safety. So Warren Buffett, the most successful investor of the 20th century, he says that he aims to buy stocks below their intrinsic value. So that means if you can buy it at a discount, you know, the very worst case, he's still probably going to do all right. Because even if it kind of drops a little bit, if you can at least sell it back to where it was, you've got that little margin of safety there where you're at worst case, you're not doing too badly. Yeah, particularly at this start, you need to keep in mind how badly can you mangle or stuff up a recipe, but you're still, you're you're still going to have something that works out and tastes incredible at the end of the day. So basically making things as idiot-proof as possible in the steps. So uh, beginners like myself, maybe not you, Ash Joe, um, you know, are going to hit some winners no matter what. That's it. He says the maximum real estate is you make your money when you buy the property, not when you sell it. So Tim's cooking maxim, he says, you can guarantee a good meal by picking good recipes, not by following tough recipes very well. So he's all about picking the right ones to get started with. So in this episode, we're going to be talking a lot about meta-learning. So obviously, cooking is a bit of a metaphor here. You don't need to, um, it's not specifically about cooking. This is about learning, but um, using certain principles in the realm of cooking. So obviously, they can be applied to, to anything you want to learn in the world, really. When it comes to learning, it's possible to become world-class in just about anything in six months or less. If you're armed with the right framework, you can seemingly perform miracles, whether that's learning Spanish, learning how to swim, or anything in between. Big call, isn't it? Big call. Anything in six months or <laughs> World less. World-class as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's bloody hell. So, if you look at swimming, right, and two people you can consider really good swimmers, you got a bloke called Michael Phelps, who you may have heard of, and a bloke called Shinny <laughs> Takeuchi. That was pretty good. Uh, who you probably haven't heard of. Yeah. Well, I haven't heard of. <laughs> That's right. They're the, these are the two most watched YouTube swimming videos of all time. The first one's pretty obvious. Michael Phelps, you know, 28 Olympic medals, 23 of those gold. Kind of makes sense. Everyone kind of knows who Michael Phelps is. But who the hell is this Shinji Takeuchi? Um, you know, even I, as a big swimmer, nine national gold medals myself uh, as a junior, uh, had never heard of this bloke. Man, it doesn't count. You can't call it, you can't say, oh, Phelps got 23, 23 gold and I got eight. I'm putting myself in that same Phelps category. You're not in the same category. Sorry, I showed a break to you. But Phelps, right, if you look at the, the different videos and the different styles, firstly, you got Phelps, who's just um, an insane man. So he's like grabbing the water near the surface and through superhuman strength, pulling himself through. Shinji, on the other hand, he has his lead arm really deep. So two feet below the surface, so he goes for depth rather than horizontal. So very different there. 
Phelps, he looks like he's strapped to an outboard motor with his huge feet kicking heroically, pushing him like a horsepower insanely. Now, Shinji, it's worth watching this YouTube video because mm. it's very weird because he doesn't kick at all. His feet just sort of just dangle there uh, behind him. So, totally different uh, swimming mm. styles as these two different um, most watched videos in the world. That's right. People watch Phelps because he looks like Aquaman with all this strength and speed and power. But people watch Shinji because of kind of the opposite, this effortless propulsion. It looks like he's not even trying. And uh, the big key here is Phelps learned to swim when he was seven. Shinji learned to swim when he was 37. Uh, so very different styles here. And if you wanted to learn to swim, you might be asking, you know, who, sh- who should you hire as your coach, Phelps or Shinji? The obvious one, you're probably thinking, I'd hire Phelps. He's won, you know, all these uh, Olympic gold medals. He's, you know, arguably the best swimmer in history. Surely he could teach you a thing or two. But that's probably the wrong answer because the top of the top of the top, you know, the top 1% of the top 1% of the top 1%, Phelps has got all these different things that you probably don't have. Firstly, he's six foot four. Secondly, his arm span is six foot six. Thirdly, he was a full-time athlete. So he was training all day, every day. So it's probably no wonder that he's, uh, he's a pretty good swimmer. Yeah, you'd probably still choose Phelps just for the uh, status <laughs> yeah. and just to you know get a selfie on Insta. But if you're really trying to learn and um, learn swimming, you are choosing Shinji, because whereas Phelps, it's all about his physical attributes and how hard he works and how hard he started. Shinji, it's all about he created a, a, an effortless swimming technique that um, anybody can use. Because if you think about Phelps, like he's such an expert, he can't externalize what he's internalized, mm. right? So he can't, it's like anything you're learning. I remember, um, you know, wakeboarding, for example, at the very start, when I was trying to learn from a pro, it just got me nowhere. But when I learned someone who was just, mm. um, you know, a four out of 10, getting up out of the water, yes, you, you put your hips like this, you move your feet like that. And then, you know, it was only then I could start uh, getting up on the ski. So it's very similar when it comes to learning anything. That's right. You can imagine Phelps who swam his whole life. Uh, if he was trying to teach an adult who didn't know how to swim, he'd say, jump in the water and then go for it, start swimming freestyle. And they'd be mm. like, what, the, what are you talking about? Whereas Shinji, he knows how hard it is because Shinji... You know, he knows it doesn't come naturally to you. He didn't learn until he's 37. So, you can actually break down those vital steps of just how to put one arm in front of the other. So, firstly, it's really important to pick the right coach and the right method. So, this is really critical if you want to be learning things quickly and effectively. So, you know, students, your subordinate to your teachers and your materials, um, much like novice cooks are subordinate to recipes. Pick the wrong teacher, the wrong material, the wrong textbook, the wrong starting point, the wrong anything. It doesn't matter how hard you work, how much energy and effort you put in, um, you're not going to learn very well or you're going to learn not very quickly at all. That's right. So what we want to be doing is picking a method that is both effective and sustainable. Effective in the sense that it narrows down the material to the most core, most important information that comes up at the highest frequency and then sustainable in the sense that you can stick to it until you reach that point. If, uh, you know, the Phelps sustainability method of, you know, eating, uh, I forget what it was, he was eating like 18,000 calories a day or something, swimming Mm -hmm. six hours a day, that's not really sustainable for a beginner. You need to find something you can stick to until you get good at it. So Ferris has, has created his own model where you can learn anything new that you want to learn and you can follow this same um, recipe or the same method and you can be in the top 5% of the world at anything in the world in 6 to 12 months, mm. even less, mm. 6 to 12 weeks, he's saying. Yeah, he's, uh, he's moved the goalpost <laughs> a little bit, but that's all right. So his method, um, we're going to flesh out in the next section and it's called his, uh, his DIS. So his his dis, his D triple S, his D S three. I think it's a. 
I don't know. There's some there's some good uh, you know uh, when people break down a, a framework. I feel like DSSS is not not the best one in terms of easy to remember. Hmm. But Where's it's good. It's good. Exactly. <laughs> you just no put I? it in there because DSSS sounds shit. So it's like dis or DS3. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, it, it is good. So his DS3 is deconstruction, selection, sequencing, and stakes. So the first, deconstruction. You could ask yourself, what are the minimal learning units, the Lego blocks, that you need to start with? Yeah, imagine if uh, if someone's trying to teach you how to play soccer through books and they say you've got you know one to two years that you spend reading books, memorizing shots, different techniques before you get onto the field, it's going to be pretty shit ass. You're going to have this awesome image in your brain of how soccer should work. As soon as you try to kick a ball and shank it, there's going to be a massive disconnect there. So the point is that you want to be trying to get the physical uh, skill rather than just the intellectual skill as soon as possible. Yeah, a bit of research, watching videos or anything like that. They're really good to get you started, but you want to find the magical crutches as early as possible. So you're actually doing at the very start. So the best way to do this uh, is to first and foremost answer the following question. How do I break this amorphous skill into small, manageable, bite-sized pieces? That's it. So say if you want to go and learn to play golf, uh, just learn to play golf, it sounds like a skill. But actually the skill, the big macro skill, of golf breaks down into all these different micro skills. You've got driving off the tee, hitting irons off the fairway, hitting out of the rough, hitting out of the sand, uh, approaching the green, chipping, putting. Then there's the mental side, all these other things. So the big skill of golf is actually like all these different sub, 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 sub skills. Mm. So you don't want to go to learn golf. You want to go to learn all these different pieces uh, independently and then put them together. Golf's are a really good one for this because... Rather than just learning golf, you could actually um, go to the driving range. Mm. And that's a critical one. When you're teeing off on uh, hole one and you don't want to embarrass yourself, <laughs> that you specific <laughs> important skill in golf, you can go to the driving range and um, figure that out. And you can also go to mini golf and, um, and putt around. So it's like um, you know any skill, it's all the same. So if you want to go uh, try surfing, I probably did this unconsciously when I was trying to learn, but um, I was just a weak, really weak swimmer. Um, especially on the surfboard. So, you know, you, it's all good and well to try and learn to surf and catch waves, but if you actually can't paddle to get to the point where you can actually catch a wave, all things are pointless. So, you know, I went out into the just the bay, Port Phillip Bay, mm. and just started um, going around on the surfboard and just having moments of like little sprints and all that. And that little skill was really the only thing that enabled the rest mm. of learning the skill in this case. Yeah, that's good. That's some good deconstruction there um, because most people would just think of surfing as the end result, but there's a whole bunch of different sub, sub, sub skills that go into that end result. So we need to deconstruct the overall skill you're trying to learn something, the abstract term, bring it into specific bite-sized pieces. That's deconstruction. Next is selection. So there's a little I missing in between. <laughs> um, you should have called it DES, I reckon. So the E from Deconstruction, DE, yeah. and that would have made more sense. <laughs> but selection, so the question here, which 20% of the blocks should I focus on for 80%? or more of the outcome that I want. That's right. So you've got all your building blocks, but some are more important than others. Uh, you don't necessarily have to learn every single building block to be able to master that big skill. So what Timbo is saying is that it boils down to our 80-20 principle and our MED, our minimum effective dose. Yeah. So firstly, the 80-20 principle or the Pareto principle says that 80% of the outputs come from 20% of the inputs. So it happens everywhere, right? Like if... Uh, 
if you've got a whole bunch of different clients, uh, you'll notice that 20% of them give you 80% of your profits uh, and also 20% of them probably give you 80% of your grief as well. <laughs> That's right. Uh, 80% of the peas comes from 20% of the plants. 80% of the wealth is held by 20% of the population. Um, this distribution, it occurs everywhere and it's, it's quite surprising how, how natural the phenomena really is. Yeah, and then when if we link back to cooking, that you might find that twenty percent of the different skills that you can learn unlocks eighty percent of the potential dishes that you can cook. Okay, so on the fly, Ash, I know you've taken some golf lessons. What is the eighty twenty there on golf? Yeah, I would say definitely uh, putting is if you want to get good at it, definitely putting. Mm. Um, and and probably so if the goal is to minimise the score rather than the look, because mm. the putting is where you. You know, you could really just hit it further than it is from <laughs> oh, the hole time. so many times. There's a big, like, there's a, eventually you're going to get to the green, uh, but there's a big difference between putting, you know, five putting versus two putting mm. in terms of your score. So you can do a pretty average drive and not get that much power. Yeah. Which is much, you know, and you need to do that three times to get to the green. You, you as eventually get there, to, yeah. At the green, you just hang <laughs> it all around the job. I think the other one is, is probably that, like, 20 to 30 meter section. It's very easy to. Try and hit it soft and you end up hitting it three meters or just hitting the ground and embarrassing yourself. Mm. But it's also very easy to hit it 60 meters and you're back over the other side 30 meters away still trying to get it back on. So, I think they're probably the two the two key ones. As uh, uh, my mate Tomcat says, you drive for show, but you putt for dough. That's where you ah, get it. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. It's all about the show though, golf. <laughs> I, mean. I think it is too, yeah. So, that's the 80-20. Secondly is the minimum effective dose, the MED. And this is about the lowest volume, lowest frequency, the fewest changes uh, that's going to get you the desire, the result that you're after. Yeah, you want to do it as easy as possible. You don't want to take the hard route. Uh, he says that the minimum effective dose of fat loss, which he covered in the four-hour body, is consume 30 grams of protein within 30 minutes of waking up. That's just the, that's one thing to do, like one simple, easy change that's going to help you a lot. Think of uh, language, for example. Right, so and this can be applied to any language. So the English language, there's there's a lot of words, 171,000 words that are in current use, but it's always changing and evolving. So it's probably more like 250k. So if you wanted to master English, it'd probably take you over 25 years in learning 10,000 words a year. So you know, if you're not taking this approach, you might just go start learning as many words as you possibly can. But if you're applying the 80/20 principle with the minimum effective dose principles. Uh, the learning strategy looks entirely different. Yeah, he says that you don't need 250,000 words to speak English because I reckon we go all right in speaking English and I don't reckon we'd be, yeah. I don't reckon we know 20% of the words. So he was saying that the MED for most languages is around 1,200 words and you can speak extremely fluently and comfortably. And English is kind of the 80 20 on steroids. He says that a 0.0. 1% of words make up 33% of printed material. So he says that the top 25 most commonly used words make up a third of all language which yeah. is in English, which is pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. So to take it a step further, the top 300 words gets you 65% coverage. <laughs> so right now we're going from 25 years to, to learning the language to getting 65% of the mm. way there with the top 300 words. So you know, back to the start, like the selling the, the the sizzle of trying to learn something in you know twelve weeks, you'd probably apply it to learning any language. Like, what is uh, the minimum effective dose in the eighty twenty principle? And you're probably going to land on two hundred to five hundred words. I remember when I was in Turkey trying to learn the language. Man, it's not Turkey anymore. Did you know that? 
No, it's Turkia now. They've Turkia. changed, your, they've oh, changed the official yeah, name. Yeah. I should know that. <laughs> but at the start, man, they were trying to make us learn words like horseshoe. No mm, joke. Mm. It's like, what? Reading this book is just the dumbest learning method whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. I remember it, yeah. You never, you're never. you not going to use the word horseshoe. In English, I've never used the word horseshoe. <laughs> if you think back to like primary school or even high school, like when I was learning French and like you had to, I remember we had to like all memorize the name of all different types of stationery, like a pencil, a pen, oh. a rubber, a sharpener in both the female and the male conjugations or whatever. It's like, that doesn't how, help you speak how dumb French. dumb is that? Like, <laughs> after reading this, how dumb are those curriculums? Yeah. Like, how hard would it be for anyone listening right now working on curriculums? Yeah. You know, use this principle when you're going to help kids actually like, so stick much. to it. Yeah. yeah. The top 300, just make them learn 300 words and they're yeah. going to be better than, All you probably have a year stuff. seven better than a year 12. I Easily. Think. Easily. Very quickly. So again, so if you if you think of cooking similarly, there's only a couple of skills that can get you a long way. He says that the top three most commonly used uh, cooking methods are grilling, sautéing, and braising. So if you learn those three, that unlocks all of cooking basically. Yeah, that's so good, man. So uh, we had um, what was the first? What was the D? Deconstruction. <laughs> uh, selection. What was the I? Oh no, that was not I. <laughs> <laughs> so third in this this process is sequencing. So we've got the building blocks. We've got down the 80-20. We've got down the minimum effective dose. Now, um, something, another thing we don't think about, what is the best order mm. of learning these skills from here? Mm. He tells a story of uh, Josh Waitzkin, a famous chess player, uh, who was kind of taught the opposite way to most people are taught because most people, you get the full chess board. It's like, okay, you've got these, uh, you've got 16 pieces. they got 16 pieces. There's, what, 64 squares on the board. We'll start from the start. What do you do first? You learn your opening moves. But that's like a pretty tough way to try to learn everything all at once. Whereas Josh Waitzkin's teacher says, no, we're going to go the other end. We're going to work out the closing moves first. We're going to start as simple as possible, a king versus a king and a pawn. So making it as simple as possible, how do you play from this point? Mm. So, you know, shouldn't from the hip here, but if you're trying to learn a language, for example, you might, out of those 300 words, learn the ones that are going to get you through the day. Mm. So when I think about language, if you learn what is... Yeah, using the yeah. word "what is" is the best word to because <laughs> yeah. you can ask someone, "What is this? What is that?" And yeah. then you can start learning about the the useful things that you can use in everyday language, or "What does this mean?" or "How do you say this?" Mm. I mean, I feel like those things are the top. Mm. Yeah, I like that. I like that compared to learning how to say horseshoe. Oh, yeah, <laughs> insane, mate. There's a there's an interesting one. Uh, he says that most cookbooks stuff this up. Most cookbooks, they go out with the right idea and they're like, you know what? You've been using and eating mayonnaise for, for your whole life. This is how simple it is with cooking. If you want to learn to cook, you can learn to cook something that you can just buy from the store and it's incredibly easy. Like all you need is you got eggs, olive oil, lemon juice, maybe a bit of salt and you can replicate what you would normally get out of a jar from the supermarket. But uh, the problem is, whilst on paper it's a bit of a simple task, the actual cookbooks make it this Herculean task. So the uh, recipe for mayonnaise might say, uh, just add A and then put in a little bit of B, but whatever you do, don't break the emulsion. Uh, again, starting to get me pissed off. What the f- is an, an emulsion? How do you break it? How do you avoid breaking it? How do I whisk and add another ingredient at the same time? I don't have enough hands. Be sure to secure your bowl, ideally a heavy pot lined with a damp dish towel. Line? <laughs> You're really starting to piss me off, Josh. How can you line it inside, outside? Add uh, add olive oil one drop at a time. 
one, how do you add one drop at a time, uh, especially while we're trying to read the next step at the same and time? add roughly one cup per 20 seconds. <laughs> Mate, how, it's, <laughs> this is starting to get ridiculous. If it breaks, uh, stop, do Y, then repeat steps L and M, but not too fast. If it's too thin, add a splash of water and mix again. Mate, this is, uh, this is starting to get through. How much is a splash? How much is too thin? So, safe to say, this sort of style, yeah. it's, it's quite frustrating and clearly it's written for the author rather than the reader because um, only they know what to do. And honestly, as a beginner, I think just go and buy the mayonnaise for three bucks from the supermarket rather than trying to make it. Yeah, mate. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And you're not, impre- you're not getting the um, impressing anyone or that sort of stuff yeah, either. Yeah, that's right. I, um, I did try to make a... Uh, a uh, a garlic aioli mm. and it was fucking awful. It was just liquid. <laughs> it wasn't like a no, it was it was just like the wrong the consistency. Yeah, the the uh, texture of water, not like a. It didn't have anything to it. So there's probably no margin of safety. <laughs> so skip that one for sure. Next is uh, in this learning method of of deaths is uh, stakes. <laughs> so the question here is, how do I set up stakes to create real consequences? And guarantee I'm going to follow up the program. Yeah. So, uh, Ferris tried to create his own stakes. He made like a bit of a scorecard in the back of the book with this uh, this game plan where you follow along and, and try to gamify a little bit. Um, but if you take that more broadly, often we start out with the right intentions of learning this new skill. But as soon as things get a little bit tricky, we hit a hurdle or progress plateaus, we kind of give up and throw in the towel. So, he's saying you kind of need to build in some real world consequences uh, that trigger in the event that you don't actually follow through on your commitment. So, you're kind of committing yourself to doing this by having some kind of stakes, having something on the line. Yeah. So, in the four-hour body, he came up with this. So, he said, hey, send an unflattering picture of yourself in your underwear to a trusted friend and tell them that if you don't follow the slow-carb diet in the next month, just post it online. That's, That's right. <laughs> Mate, I sent a few um, unflattering photos and Nothing much really changed. So then I've just got a few unflattering photos <laughs> just floating around, <laughs> floating around out there. Anyway, mate, you had to do to someone who had your balls on the line who's going to post. Well, it. they didn't post it, but it was just like um, just in a group chat saying, "Hey, yeah, uh, you know, watch me, yeah. watch me in a month's time. Just look at me go." And then didn't really go anywhere. That's right. If you uh, think about betting pools as well, I remember you know Joe Rogan and his his mates. They had that fitness challenge for a month. Mm. If you remember Seinfeld, the contest, how they tried, they had money on the line to uh, see so you could hold out the longest. Um, AJ Jacobs, another author, he's a Jewish author, and he had uh, one of these where he said, "If I don't commit to this goal and achieve it, mm. then I'm going to donate to the Nazi Party." Um, so having those stakes on the line is probably a good incentive to keep you going and make sure you stick to it. I like it. Something I've started doing is when I booking presentations with architects um i've done it a few times where i put the topic in the title i don't know much about so then i have to learn (laughs) the content before i do that presentation in three weeks time mate that's some real world stakes yeah 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 (laughs) and it means like you do learn a lot more when you somehow inject stakes into Mm. uh into the mix So that's Ferris's DSSS model, our deconstruction, selection, sequencing, and stakes. And what he's kind of done here is built all of this into a cookbook. And so what he's done is now that we've kind of learned the meta of how to learn, now he's applying it to this one specific skill of cooking. And of course, you can apply that to anything. So all those principles we've already been um, talking about is is injected into here. So you're really going to have the simplest and easiest way of actually learning how to become a world-class cook in pretty much no time. Um, so, in the book, he's got 14 new meals. What was that? New? Yeah. New. It's a pretty new interesting meal. word. Yeah. 14 new meals <laughs> that take between 5 to 20 minutes of prep time, 
four hours total of cooking, right? So pretty easy stuff. Yeah, and that's where he uh, shoehorned in his four-hour chef following on from the four-hour work week and the four-hour body, um, saying 14 meals, five to 20 minutes each, you, you know, four hours of cooking to become a chef type of thing. So, yeah, that's four hours of cooking across 14 meals in mm. total, right? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. That's no time, man. So, you, yeah. <laughs> you've, you've done all 14? I did about 11, I reckon. There was a few oh, weird on. ones. So, he, uh, he didn't Chicken, get... liver, pate and... Uh, uh, an eel one that I couldn't actually find the eel for. Yeah. Well, he's. <laughs> yeah. So you did a minimum effective dose on his <laughs> on the minimum, minimum effective that's dose. Right. That's a pretty good strategy. So, that's right. well, there's 14 lessons, um, not much time. Uh, furthermore, he's got all the gear. So he's minimized that. So pots, pans, utensils is, is severely restricted. Because uh, that was my issue when it came to Marley's food and stuff. You'd end up sometime with too many dishes mm. lying around and the, mm. and the prep time, the cook time was just too much mucking around. And, yeah. uh, I went back to the old microwave. <laughs> All those failure points. And, he, and really kind of the end goal here, it's a, a bit of a, a Trojan horse, I guess. So obviously, you learn these uh, specific skills and these specific meals. But he's saying the end goal here is to obviously become a cook. So become not the 60 seconds in the microwave, but someone who enjoys cooking, someone who can host a dinner party, uh, bring friends or strangers together, cook them a meal, uh, actually cook good, healthy, easy, tasty meals for yourself and for your family regularly. And if you want to, go to some of those bigger, fancier, more elaborate meals as well. I like it. Maybe a good challenge for the listeners right now if they're serious about this. Maybe um, book in a dinner party mm. for you know maybe a month from now. Tell them what you're going to be cooking and maybe that doubles everything because maybe you got to read this book beforehand <laughs> and you got to figure out how to cook. So, if you, if you really want to challenge steaks. yourself, it's probably a good, good steaks. And I like how some people take stuff on these challenges. Yeah. We haven't yeah. really put many out there. We get the occasional email coming through. Which yeah, is even good. the four-hour body challenge, we're still getting the, uh, the, you put out the challenge, we're still getting the occasional um, person taking us up on the challenge and sending us those before photos as well. Mm. So, yeah, go out and go out and do that and send us a photo of the, uh, the party or what you're going to do. And uh, maybe invite us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a few um, uh, new sort of key ideas that he that he brings here to what you would normally consider cooking to the, the sort of Tim Ferriss uh, broken down method. So one is that it kind of mirrors professional chefs. So each of the recipes he does is broken up into prep and pick up. So normally uh, before this, I was very much like cooking is like, okay, once you start cooking for the night, you start and then you keep going until it's done. Whereas now he's saying there's this prep stuff, which is all the things you can do in advance and then pick up is when it's actually nearly time to eat where you start putting things together. So I guess for me, it was very much, uh, I was very much like a meat and three veg guys. Maybe it was a steak with a mashed potato, a steamed carrot and a sauteed asparagus. The old approach would be at like 5 p.m. after work, coming time to dinner, start peeling the potatoes, start chopping the carrots, start washing the asparagus, start seasoning the steak and you got all these different knives, all these different chopping boards, pots, pans, mess everywhere. Eventually, you get to the end, two hours later, you eat your food and then another 30 minutes of cleaning up. But what he's saying is what you could actually do now is prep beforehand. There's a whole bunch of things that you can do before you actually need to start to cook. So maybe during your lunch break, you can peel the potatoes, you can wash and peel the carrots, you can chop them up, you can uh, chop the ends off the asparagus, give them a wash, and kind of everything's sort of ready. All the messy stuff's done, and all you need to do at the very end is just put the steak on to fry and put the veggies onto steam, and uh, it's a quick way to sort of pick up once everything's already been prepped and cleaned. I like it, and you could probably do all your prep in one hit, can you? Because mm. you're only cleaning all your... Um 
dishes in one go there. Exactly. So there's a bit of my own injection there, <laughs> Tim, that you missed. Um, secondly, so that was all about uh, prep and pickup. There's a new idea here as well. For each new meal, you need to think about your mise, M-E-E-Z, your mise in place, um, which is getting everything in, in one place. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty frustrating if you start just cooking a recipe and then you, you slice a, a chicken breast in half and then realize that the next step you've got to season it with salt, pepper and tarragon but now you've got chicken juice on your hands and you've got a, a chicken breast sitting on the bench that you probably shouldn't be leaving out of the fridge for too long and you're scrambling through the cupboard to try to find these ingredients. Uh, it's a real mess. So instead, you want to get your meads. You want to get everything out and on the bench and prepared in its right spot before you start doing anything. So you read the full recipe first. You grab out all the ingredients from the pantry and the fridge that you need so you can kind of do them. And this is like a bit of a you know, general thing as well. If you think about it, uh, doing your work, if you've got everything ready on the desk uh, or you've got all the right tabs open and you can get to it as opposed to starting a report and then you're like, oh shit, I forgot. I have to go into analytics and grab this screenshot and find these stats and uh, you become much more efficient if you get your mees ready in the first place. Yeah, there's a lot of just stuffing around sometimes looking for things. Um, I've, yeah, I've personally got a lot of issues with that, looking, <laughs> looking at the keys before you... <laughs> looking for the wallet and you, never, you lose 20 minutes here and there. That's right. So I might just do three surface ping at um, meals. And as we said, you're probably better off uh, buying buying the book and doing the challenge because, mm. yeah, it's really no time to actually get to the point where you, you, you're bloody good. And I I didn't have your before and after um, cooking, Astro. I've, I don't think... Do you ever cook for me before? I think you did eggs and bacon once. That's probably as yeah. basic as it, yeah. it did. <laughs> I reckon but then, yeah, I was super impressed by your cooking both times, especially the first one. What did mm. you, was that one of these meals? Nah, that was just... Uh, that was post... I reckon it was probably, yeah, post this, you know, taking the skills and going to the next level beyond the uh, the Ferris. Yeah, it was a- good. absolutely what, blown away. What do we have? We had a bit of a Texan uh, pulled pork, a bit of a mac and cheese. Oh. Yeah, it was a... Uh, Not good for losing weight, that's for sure. (laughs) So, the first one we've got here is Osso, um, uh, in parentheses, Buko. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And then in brackets, Brazing. So, this Osso Buko, it kind of appears on high-end restaurants all around the world. It's a bit of a fancy dish, like a bit of a a stew, something that uh, even if you have only screwed up two-minute noodles in the past, you can still probably get to a decent Osso Buco and, and still be matching it with sort of the, the top restaurants in the world. Mm. So, despite, you know, cooking a tasty meal, you're actually going to be learning a skill in this whole process as well. So, here, we're learning braising, um, which is going to be a skill you're going to take on forever. And this is super easy and it's low risk and slash high margin for error method of cooking. Um, and when we're doing this, there's not a hell of a lot of equipment either. You just need a knife, you need a cutting board, you need a Dutch oven, Hey, you know what a Dutch oven is? I thought it was just a fart <laughs> yeah, in a blanket. You fart in the blanket and trap it and send someone under there. And <laughs> it's not. No, it's actually... Mate, you've got a Dutch oven. No, what? Yeah. Oh, really? It's the like the, the pot with the lid on top. You made baked beans in there for us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's God. a Dutch oven. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's, that's really all you need. And uh, it, this, is a, this is a pretty simple recipe. Not many ingredients. Uh, you can't really fuck it up, um, but all all you do basically is you got your carrots. He says you just break them in half, put them on the bottom of the pan. You chop up this lamb shank, put it on top. Get a can of tomatoes, pour it on top. Add in some garlic, add in some olive oil, add in some salt and pepper. Pour some wine over the top, and then put it in the oven for two hours. Is that it? That's it. 
Is that all yeah. you do? That's all you do. And yeah. it's, how is it good? It comes out pretty good. Yeah, and because the the braising method of cooking is like cooking roasting something inside liquid, it doesn't matter. He says if you know if it's two hours, if it's now forty five, it doesn't matter. If it's two and a half hours, it doesn't matter. It's still going to turn out pretty good. Nice. Uh, it's like, and I think that's is what probably got the inspiration for your um, braised beef, yeah, beef brisket that came later, right? That's right, mate. The uh, it was a, a there was a taking the prep and the pickup method. Uh, when I had mum and dad over for dinner one time, did the braised beef brisket, which was like an eight-hour thing. So I just got up in the morning, 9 a.m., prepped everything, put the lid on, chucked in the oven, and then at the very end, once I came over, it was just sort of 10 to 12 minutes at the end, sort of slicing everything up. The best thing about that one, it's really a piece of piss for you, isn't it? Mm. But for the guests, you can say, hey, I started cooking at 10 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And, it, and a lot of your parents to get some brownie points. like Because <laughs> it does feel like you put all this effort in you've dedicated a whole day to cooking yeah which is not the case admittedly starting at 10 a.m was 15 minutes then chuck it in the oven but yeah it does sound good you know i was cooking for eight hours <laughs> yeah uh, so it's all about the story with cooking as well i think oh big that, time adds to it big time there's another side here ashto um so we got curry coconut cauliflower uh mash so tell mm. us about this one mate this is a great uh i'm not man i'm not really a fan of mashed white potato i never i don't know the texture the um, it's not nutritional component is horrendous. It's like you might as well have chips. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Chips are a tasty. <laughs> yeah. This is this is that, but actually good for you and tastes good as well. Mm. Uh, again, we're using our Dutch oven, and this is another super simple one. It's it's definitely one of my go to sides now. Um, all you need to do so you got your your cauliflower. You you wrap it in a towel and fucking bang the shit out of it to break it up obviously beforehand i used to cut it up but you just can just bang it this is the really? tim ferris quick method you know 30 seconds of banging it and you get the all hammer? the florets or just said no just you said grab it wrap it up and just oh oh it's yeah. like slamming it around yeah. <laughs> it was, it's tough to convey over a over a podcast but uh you know what i meant jonesy yeah i like it you chuck that in the dutch oven grab a can of coconut cream chuck that on top grab a handful of cashews chuck them in Put the lid on, cook it for like 25, 30 minutes. Again, it doesn't really matter if you go over for a bit. Um, if you're cooking it on low, you're not going to burn it. And then at the very end, a little sprinkle of uh, curry powder, a little sprinkle of cinnamon, a little sprinkle of salt and mash it all up. Jeez, mate. You, you're really selling me now on how easy this is. I'm actually going to get on it, I think, next year. Now, this next, next one is... Year. <laughs> That's a long way away. <laughs> yeah, that's really kicking the can out. You, you really got faith that I'm going to do it when you say no. Oh, it. mate, mate, we just did how to change, and uh, she was talking about um, you know finding fresh start opportunities. You've gone yeah. for Jan first, mate. There's another first coming up very soon, <laughs> or you can start Monday if you want. Well, she had 200 fresh start opportunities. <laughs> yeah, you right. can break out your year into. I've gone gone for the single, so I don't want to. I'm not going to do it. Let's just face it. The third one though, I might do. Um, yeah. This is really good. So you got eggs of the world. Mm. Now eggs are obviously the uh, perfect slow carb breakfast. If you read that, they're really healthy, and there's a lot of different ways you can um, add different types of metaphorical salt and pepper to to make it. <laughs> That's right. A little or bit literal salt and pepper. Or literal. <laughs> um, so you can still have your scrambled eggs for breakfast, but still have a little bit bit of that variety, so you're not getting bored of what you're eating. Yeah, definitely. I um, I think I did. I think I said 15 here. I've probably done 25 of these different ones. He's got 67 different country flavor combinations in the book. And basically all it is is you uh, crack it, you put some oil, you crack some eggs into the pan, mix them up, and then you throw in these different flavors. 
Um, so, uh, for example, there was like a West African one, which is uh, tomato, peanut, and chili. There was a Spanish one, which was pepper, onion, and almond. There was a Nepal, which was lime, ginger, and chili. There was Burma, which was onion, ginger, garlic, and turmeric. There was Indonesia, which was soy sauce, brown sugar, and peanut. Um, and all these different ones where you, you still have an eggs. And it's basically the same time plus 10 seconds of adding sprinkles of whatever in, but it's it, you're getting a different egg every day. Yeah, and the story again, man, how good is that? I'm making you North, Northeast African eggs. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. How much better does that sound than oh. scrambled eggs? Yeah, yeah, scrambled <laughs> eggs. So, mate, this was all applied to cooking, obviously. It can be applied to anything. Did you ever watch Tim Ferriss, the Tim Ferriss experiment? I ended up watching a couple, yeah, a couple of episodes. Well, he applied these principles to a lot of different things, like playing the drums. Um, I watched that episode. Yeah, yeah. it was a cool episode, right? Because he, his uh, stakes he raised, he was actually going to be playing to a crowd of mm. you know, 10,000, 20,000 or something. I forget which band it was, but it was a pretty popular a band, band and he was playing drums for them. For, for song. one song. Yeah. And he had to do a very basic um, drum beat. Yeah. And it was, it was quite a good show, this one. And yeah. I think it was a big flop from his point of view, right? <laughs> I remember him flop. talking about it being a big flop. <laughs> yeah. um, did it for surfing, did it for parkour. I remember he did it for Japanese horseback archery as well, I think, an episode maybe. <laughs> <laughs> he's an odd unit, isn't he? I like <laughs> how his brain works. He's an odd unit though. And obviously a language, man. So, it's, yeah. it's cool. You could apply it, just the popular things you want to learn, guitar, everyone wants to learn an instrument, languages. Mm. Um, so before you just dive right in and get into the deep end, I think uh, these principles we've learned in this book, which can also be applied for booking, are really phenomenal uh, to help your learning journey there. Mm-hmm.